Hello, hello, hello. You have tuned into Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, a member of the syndicated C-Suite Radio Network. Strategy without a plan is a dream. Executives are struggling to understand what is the right thing to do going forward. Acquisitions, mergers, joint ventures, and partnerships have become the norm. And now, after the country has shut down due to COVID-19, some will only reopen if they join forces. My guest today is Don Myhan. Don specializes in analyzing and guides executives on how to assess value and create talent pools that make a company stronger during and after an acquisition. Don has over 20 years of experience advising executives, venture capitalists, and acquisition teams on the intricate nature of assessing and capturing the value of an employee population. Did you know 60% of deals fail to capture the intended synergies because they mismanage the people side of the business? Don shares how one deal gone bad started out as a $500 million purchase and ended up costing the company over $2.5 million. By the end of the podcast, you'll have a few things to include on your due diligence plan and also why your current HR team may not be the right team to get you the right answers and what you can do to ensure that the deals that you sign are lucrative for both sides. If you're an executive or an HR professional grappling with how to restart your business, what you'll be facing going forward as our country goes back to work, then you'll want to stay tuned. And I have known Don uh, 25 years that I'm going to admit to, but it was much longer than that. I am thrilled to be with him because as I look back on my career, and many of you have heard me say this, there are quiet, quiet mentors in your camp that you don't know at the time is a great influencer and mentor and guide for your career. I am honored to let you all meet my guiding mentor, Don Mahan. Hey, Don. Hey, Denise. Thank you so much for that introduction. I am flattered and honored and privileged to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, this is this is just a thrill for me, and I know it's going to be fabulous for my listeners. You know, Don, I think a good place to start is to remind people that we're kind of in the middle of the COVID virus, and we're just about, May has been the month that where we're going to be opening up again. And it's it's not going to be a good place for some businesses. You've got over 30 years in um, um, mergers and acquisition. You've also got some experience in the background around unions and how to manage that as well as employee engagement, Keller graduate. I mean, you've got a tremendous wealth of knowledge. As you look forward in this, what do you see as some of the things that a manager, an executive, a CEO, that C-suite group of people ought to be thinking about if they're on either side, whether they're merging with someone or they're being acquired. How do they protect their talent? Well, I appreciate that question. Uh, First of all, I would say mergers and acquisitions have become a normal way of life uh, within the business world, uh, even before COVID-19. But particularly since we have experienced this recent outbreak of of the COVID-19, I think the experience is going to make it even more difficult for some businesses to survive. Just in the past uh, couple of months, I've seen a couple of cases already 
where consolidation of assets became required. And I think in today's global competitive environment, mergers and acquisitions and integration of those businesses acquired is going to be required for long-term survival of many businesses. So I think we're going to see more consolidation as time progresses. Yeah, and, you know, I think you and I both agree on this one, that oftentimes HR is an afterthought. So bringing in the executive or the senior people for HR is usually an afterthought after all the all the ink is. And primarily they get to come into the table at the um, implementation spot instead of really helping a business think through how to position themselves either to be acquired or um, to merge with another company. Why do you think that's true? What, what are you seeing when you talk to executives about this? Well, I think you're you're right on point. I would say 20 years ago, many of the leading companies were only beginning to recognize the significance of a well-developed HR due diligence process in considering their acquisition targets. I see less of that today because HR not being involved upfront in M&A work has uh, created many catastrophic consequences for companies. Um, if you look at due diligence, which is the first thing that happens where HR gets involved, due diligence is actually the watchdog of the merger and acquisition process. And if you don't involve HR in, up front in looking at the problems uh, associated with a business that may be under consideration for acquisition, then you're asking for some serious problems. Like what? Uh, give us some examples. Well, let, let me give you an example. I, I was brought into a company um, that had just made a acquisition deal with a $500 million business. The first signs of problems were when we received a $250,000 fine from the IRS because the acquired company had not filed its 5,500 reports, which are required mm -hmm. uh, by the government annually. And those had not been filed in that case for three years. So oh my. the management of that company's 401k for 900 employees had been grossly neglected and nobody knew it. Mm -hmm. Not even the employees themselves whose financial investments had been entrusted to the company had been impacted. So a simple question in the benefits area, show me your 5,500 filings for the past five years would have identified this problem. Mm -hmm. Now, the bottom line is we spent over a year trying to correct the problems, and in the end, it cost the new company owner over $2 million in fines, lawyer's fees, actuarial fees, and HR's time to figure out uh, the right calculations on the 401k plan. Wow. Wow. So that's just one of many examples that, that I could use. Uh, simple failures uh, to truly analyze and understand every aspect of HR being provided in the company being acquired is ripe for either confirming or denying that the business should move forward with the acquisition decision. You know, when I when I was on uh, involved in acquisitions and, and particularly, one of the thing one of the big questions that we always brought to the table was how do we identify that talent which we can't buy on the market? 
And how do we help them understand that, you know, they're valued. We want them. We want to keep them because, you know, there's usually there's two of everything that comes with a company, at least in the backroom operations. What have you seen in terms of best practices or how do you make recommendations on a company going forward thinking about as you're looking at this company? Because they bought this company for a specific talent um, and business operations part. How do they keep, you know, and especially now because people are going to be jumping around and they're going to be scared. And when they get scared, people leave. Uh, what do you suggest that they do to keep that talent in place and motivated? Now, certainly dealing with the full range of human emotions that occur uh, in a acquisition process. Once people understand that an acquisition is underway, they get very nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in regard to your the first part of your question, Denise, um, going in and understanding the assessment of talent, um, it's one thing for the owners of the company to tell you the capabilities of the people that they have, but it's another thing to send HR in and actually look at the employee files, understand the technical training and the college degrees that are on record, understanding if they've done anything with succession planning and if they've identified any of their talent gaps. And what I find, particularly in smaller companies, is they haven't done that. Yeah. So it's still imperative that the HR people, being part of the due diligence process, go in and understand what all those capabilities are and then do an assessment of the gaps that are matched to the business plan Mm-hmm. to see if there are skill deficiencies. Most companies are looking for synergies as a mm-hmm. result of combining together. So you want to make sure that the skill base that exists in your company or the company that you're looking at being acquired is there to serve the markets that you're going to be responsible for serving in the future. And so if if you get to the point where you kind of go, oh, there's, you know, this is a smaller, you know, mid-sized companies and smaller. I would say any company, you know, kind of below that Fortune 1000, um, HR by and large is focused on compliance and managing the liability um, of the business and, and employees and benefits and those kinds of things. And so talent tends not to be um, at the forefront. How? What would be some quick questions that, you know, someone like you, if they brought you in, what would you be asking when you look and you see you got employee records, but you really don't understand how those employees have contributed to the success of that business? Yeah, first of all, the characteristic features of any organization, human capital value, it's their total contribution to the corporate value mix. And from that standpoint, you want to have a clear understanding what it is that the people are going to be contributing to your bottom line. So questions that I would go in and ask is, who are your strongest leaders? Mm. If you got hit by a bus tomorrow and are no longer here, who is going to take your place? What planning have you done? And it's assessing those skills that are required in the critical positions. There's a lot of effective instruments that are out there Mm -hmm. that will help you do that. Uh, There are some very simple assessments that can be done in terms of identifying the critical behavioral factors that are important in terms of getting the job done. So I would go through and ask, who are your key players? Who is most valuable to this business? 
And who would you depend upon if you suddenly had a catastrophic loss of leadership talent within in your organization? And listening very intently to those answers. I mean, every company has a certain role, um, and hopefully you will have a well-developed succession plan that would identify any gaps that are going to exist. Gaps are not a problem. Uh, every business that I've been associated has had talent gaps, people that were not developed to the capability. So HR has a critical role in terms of always being part of that talent development process. And it's and it is a process. It's always in motion. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. To have a formal plan that, that gets up to date and is reviewed constantly to, to track talent. Don it, as you know, one of the things that we know is is that when a company acquires another company or is merging with another company Talent is a, a premium, but small companies, particularly those less than Fortune five, Fortune one hundred companies, tend not to spend a lot of time with to find out who are the key talent, who are those people who are contributing, and you know, oftentimes the people who are contributing are those silent individuals. How would you find those out? What, what questions would you ask? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I'm glad that that you're bringing up that that companies do need to understand that the total contribution of the corporate value mix is largely influenced by the human capital. The types of questions that I would ask are: Tell me who are your most significant leaders? Who are your key players in this organization that really drive this business from a competitive standpoint? Uh, tell me who the leaders of the future would be. If you had a catastrophic event where you were taken out, uh, run over by a truck, who would be replacing you? And listening intently to those answers that are being provided uh, will give you insight into whether that company has a good handle on its pipeline of leadership. I think the question um – you know, if if somebody won the lottery or got hit by a bus tomorrow, who who's going to step in is probably one of the most valuable questions. And one doesn't have to wait until, you know, you're looming or sitting in front trying to figure out whether, you know, who's the talent from an acquisition or a, a divestiture point of view. Understanding and just getting managers to have to have that conversation is a critical conversation because I don't think often we think about, you know, a formal process, as you mentioned, of developing people from start to end. Who are the emerging leaders? You know, we talk about pipelines. HR is quick to talk about who's in the pipeline. But I don't think managers really understand how to assess the strength of a pipeline. And that question of, so if, you know, you, you had to, you know, somebody left because they won the lottery, what would you do is an important question to be asked. Well, it's an important point you bring up, Denise, um, and it's it's one of the most important points in, a, in any due diligence process, and that is to have a plan for everything. In fact, studies have shown that at least 60% of the mergers that fail mm-hmm. are due to the fact that human capital was not correctly evaluated. So you need to understand more about the business that you're going to acquire mm-hmm. than even the no- owners would know themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to have a formal project plan. Uh, the best tracking formats that I've seen can be in any project management software 
If you don't have that, using a simple Excel worksheet where there are columns for every event or activity, who's responsible for it, the target completion dates, the status updates, and then a common comment section. Um, then what you would do is you would meet regularly to track the progress in terms of accomplishing that project plan. And when it when it comes to talent, I would have a tab in that in that worksheet that is specifically devoted to talent management mm -hmm. and and identifies what is it you don't know that you need to know. Okay, yeah. who's responsible for getting that? What's the target date that it needs to be accomplished? And then you, as the HR person involved in due diligence, are responsible for the follow-up and keeping people on task for getting that information so that you can properly do assessment of the talent that exists uh, in an organization. You know, this um, if you're the acquiring company and you're asking questions like this, and these are tough questions and probably the wrong time to be asking when you're being acquired, but nevertheless, that oftentimes, you know, we don't always follow through on what we should have um, in place until we have to have it in place. How do you keep the organization from, you know, fear kind of just overwhelming them? Because people know their jobs are on the line. And, you know, basically the, when you when HR starts coming in and asking these kinds of questions, it's a pick-me, you know. I'm beautiful, pick-me. I'm valuable, pick-me. Right. Yeah. I have found, first of all, in, in terms of communicating it to the masses, you keep information as quiet as you possibly can for as long as you can until a purchase decision is made. Mm -hmm. So up to that point, um, typically, I would have a meeting with the key people that are going to be helping me gather information. And I would say things to them like, as we open this whole discussion, you know, this has become a normal part of life in the business world. Uh, people who are on the acquisition teams, you know, while we can't guarantee employment, the very fact that you're in this room and you're trusted with having this information gives you a unique position in this organization that is clearly going to be valued going forward. You don't walk away from those concerns and, and frustrations mm -hmm. and fear. Uh, you engage that. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is, is to ignore that. So having those meetings like that in a group format with the selected people who are going to be required to give you uh, information is critical to helping assure them that, hey, these folks that we're going to be working with that are look at purchasing our company are really good people just like us. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so they get to hear each other's fears and frustrations. Those fears are addressed by the facilitator of that meeting, which normally would be someone like me or a representative of a, a private equity firm, or even there are companies out there that specialize in this from a financial standpoint um, that, that help assist companies with mergers and acquisitions. So it's, it's really talking with the people, understanding their concerns, and addressing those in a positive light that allows them to see themselves as a part of this entity going forward. Yeah, and, and for those who 
for whatever reason, won't be going forward. What do you say to them? Because at some point, the, the doors are going to be opened up. Well, and that's just going to be announced. How do you handle that other side? Yeah, that is that is one of the points that uh, I wanted to make, and that is being a responsible integrator of an acquired business. Responsible companies will recognize that managing change and managing what they're going to go through in terms of gaining the synergies as a result mm -hmm. of the acquisition are going to leave some talent by the wayside. Right, but right. Having having the resources in place to have a equitable, fair, and socially responsible outplacement plan, mm -hmm. uh, you know, where you are helping people transition to another employer. You know, many people decide that the fit is not for them. So it's not right. just people that you're going to displace that you're going to have to treat in a responsible way. It's also those people who decide that their career choices are best utilized in going a different direction. So, you know, having a well-thought-out plan to handle those kinds of situations is uh, is pretty critical. And it's really, a, a you know, the, long, the biggest part of it is the communication yeah. and how we talk to people and how we engage with them. Yeah. Tell me, you know, what are some don't do this when you're having those conversations? What would those be? Well, don't say everything's going to be okay. Uh, um, yes. Don't say everything's going to be fine. Uh, don't say we're going to take care of you. Um, although, in the final analysis, I would say 95% of the people that get left by the wayside, things do turn out fine. Yeah. But when you make those kinds of statements of false reassurance, number one, you can't necessarily deliver on them. Yeah. Uh, number two, you don't know what's going through that other person's mind. They don't think like you. Mm -hmm. They don't have the same uh, emotional triggers that you have and vice versa. So it's really difficult to try to put yourself in someone else's place and tell them everything's going to be fine. Yeah. What's critical is that you work through and understand those issues and you keep going back to people and checking on them. Mm -hmm. You keep involving them in the process. You know, I've, I've had, you know, most of the behavioral problems that I have seen, not yeah. only in mergers and acquisitions, but in any type of HR activity is that people don't truly understand. Mm -hmm. And therefore, their resistance becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And you have to continue to talk to people, to engage them, hold communications with employees where you frankly get beat up. Mm -hmm. But coming back and saying, okay, I didn't have the answer to this at the last meeting, but here's the answers that, that I have now. And what else would you like to talk about? Mm -hmm. It helps people become engaged and understand. And I have found that once people understand, uh, then they're ready to move forward with the commitment to do whatever they possibly can to make this a positive experience. You right. know, nobody nobody wants to leave a company uh, with a bad reputation. Right, right. They right. have to they have to look at themselves in the mirror for the rest of their lives. Right. 
So if, if they can keep their dignity, if they can, you know, say what, what is on their mind, but yet in the final analysis, walk away with the dignity and admiration and respect that I did the best that I could under this situation, they're going to live a much happier life than the person who has, has constantly wanted to be a bad behavior. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good lesson, regardless of what situation you're in. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I've worked with a lot of HR people. I've tried to be the person who explains to executives the real value of HR beyond this compliance and liability and, um, you know, financial obligation or exchange that is being made with an employee to, you know, how do we find compassion and accountability? How do you, how do we encourage and hold leaders accountable in good times as well as bad? Because, you know, one of the things I'm hearing now is, is that, you know, from employees, middle managers, et cetera, somebody read the book that we should be open and compassionate and try to do and try to relate to our employees. And the, and these middle managers are saying, you didn't care about me before. Why? What is this about now? And what? Where's the next shoe going to drop? Because if you're being this nice now, what's up? Yeah, yeah, and but I. But it's you, unfortunate. Yeah, you, you, you're exactly right. I, in, in my experience, there's probably it, it follows the proverbial best hit curve. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's twenty percent of the population that are going to be against you no matter what. There's the vast majority of people in the middle of that 20% that are going to be kind of on the fence, on mm-hmm. one side of the fence or the other, but they're not going to be naysayers. Mm-hmm. And then there's this other 20% that are going to be with you no matter what. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it is a normal reaction to change that, that people are going to resist. I would advise HR people to, to not only be ready for the resistance in the organization, but at each level of the organization, you will get resistance from your executive leadership. Oh yeah, uh, you're going to get resistance. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get resistance from your internal HR team. Mm-hmm. You're going to you're going to get resistance from the company being acquired. Um, and and in all of those cases, it's working through those issues. Mm-hmm. One one of the things that I've seen with executive management, you know, Ma- Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called Blink. Talks. It, it shares a story in the beginning of that book about the Getty Museum trying to acquire a very expensive piece of art. I think it was a statue. Mm-hmm. And the people that were wanting to make that buying decision already had their mind made up. Mm-hmm. So all of the due diligence that they were they were looking for was being used to confirm that their mind to purchase that piece of art was valid right and in, confirmation in, bias that's right so you know you you will run into executives who because they've you know they've been out there they you know maybe they like somebody in that company maybe they've had a personal relationship but they want everything to come back and say we're going to buy that business and when yeah. hr has to stand up and say you know you got two million dollar pension cost over here right that's right going right. to detract from the value or you you've got compliance issues from a EEO or affirmative action or age discrimination or or some kind of issue that's going to cost us five million dollars to settle. They don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. So you know the resi- and, and the HR team. I mean, they have a full time job as it is. 
Right. So you're adding the requirement to get information and assessment of an acquisition deal that just adds to burden that they already have. Yeah, and and I'm, that, I'm a firm believer that, you know, yeah. um, it isn't that that HR department may not be capable, but they certainly right. aren't experienced in this particular area. And right. I always question, why do you treat HR differently than you would treat your strategy or your operations? You don't yeah. have a problem going to Bain and, um, you know, some of these other large corporations to come in and help with a new process implementation, et cetera, to, to relieve, to, to make sure that your current employees keep the ship running, do the things that need to go day to day, and work hand in hand. But what is it about that HR has to suddenly become the, you know, the cobbler's children that not having people come in who are specialized in a particular area is is not a cost-effective um, opportunity? Yeah, I, I think it's normally confronted by people who just haven't had the experience Mm-hmm. And they're thinking, you know, the, the financial decisions are all based on, you know, marketing, customers, quality, service delivery, mm-hmm. um, and not realizing the human factor that impacts uh, the value of these acquisitions as, as, uh, as it does. Those who have been through it will tell you, do not go through due diligence without having your HR people engaged. Yes. Make sure they have a plan for everything. Yeah. Make sure that they are in a position to integrate the business responsibly, mm-hmm. and you're just going to have a much better outcome. Again, one of my initial premises was you must understand more about the business you're acquiring than the owners know about it themselves. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is the best way. Is it a completely fail-safe to say that the merger or the acquisition is going to go smoothly? No, but that's why you have a good integration plan to to bring all this this together. Yeah, well, and one of the things I'm not smart enough to say it, but you know, um, strategy without a plan is just a dream. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and yeah. Uh, too many times we're stoked about and inspired about the vision and the dream, and we forget yeah. that the value of having people who can actually do the groundwork, yeah. who are there to take that side of it and implement it and can take yeah. your dream and make it something that's worthwhile. Yeah. Denise, I would say the other thing about, you know, why HR is not involved is is many companies, unfortunately, have HR people in leadership capacities that they just do not have confidence in that truly don't understand the business. Uh, Essentially, they're administrators. uh, They're people who do as they're told. uh, They're people who enforce policies, uh, you know, can't think outside the box. And unfortunately, our field does have its share of of people that would fit into that description. Um, So any company that's going through an acquisition that, that doesn't have the talent that they can truly look at and say, this is my business partner, is reluctant to use them when it comes mm-hmm. to something as brilliant as a strategic decision. Like and, and I think, it, it, yeah, it's, and, and because you're right, they haven't had the experience, you know, it's like, how do you have someone understand what rice tastes like when they've never stuck it in their mouth? Yeah, right? exactly. And so exactly. they don't know any better, and it's and, – for whatever reason, we don't require executives to actually have to understand 
managing people like they have to manage finance and operations. Right, exactly. I mean, and even in the due diligence process, it's one thing to ask the question. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to have the smarts to go back and ask the follow-up questions, not Mm -hmm. just take what you were given. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I mean by thinking outside the box. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes in these acquisitions, you know, people have all sorts of reasons. They may not give you exactly what you want. Uh, they may not be forthcoming for one reason. Or some of them may be downright dishonest. Yeah. And and you have to know, you have to have the street smarts to sense that mm-hmm. um, and to ask the follow-up questions that will get you to the detailed information that you need to know uh, that will allow you to move forward. Yeah, I, I, I um, have had the opportunity uh, to work with some employees who have worked with HR people who have done investigations and the quality of the investigation, the quality of the kinds of questions that they ask um, demonstrate a preconceived notion that since the manager said the employee was bad, then the manager can't be wrong. Yeah. And I think that that kind of paints the water for senior executives to be able to figure out how do I cooperate and how do I um, engage and involve my HR department across the business even before the acquisition. And it certainly is a difficult thing post-acquisition when they're trying to do the implementation strategy and try to keep things going as fast as they can. Absolutely. And um, again, if if you bring in HR in the beginning, well-seasoned HR, or if you don't have that talent in your organization, going out and getting it, Mm -hmm. find out who is really good as an outside resource to you, it will save you major problems in, in the long run. Nothing should come as a surprise Right after the deal is done. Well, not only the surprise of what talent or where talent and whose talent, but I think, as you mentioned earlier, there's always going to be rocks or bumps in the road because we're dealing with people. And right. so conflict is going to come up. There's always, I always talk about there's a process of making the decision, and then there's some people who get left out of that. There's a process of we're going to implement the decision to to acquire or restructure our company. And then there's always how do we deal with those people who left, but more importantly or as importantly, how do we deal with survivor guilt? Why me, not Joe? This person's been with me for five years, 10 years, 30 years, and they got let go. I didn't. I see my performance no better or worse than them. And it always comes, feels like it comes out of the blue. And so I think when you have... Um, you know, the plan is not just about how we're going to get the systems up and and deal with the maybe product overlap or uh, customer overlaps and how do we figure out those things. We have to have specialists or people in there who are helping the executive think through how to deal with survivor guilt because it it happens it, it sticks around for a very long time. Yeah, I I would agree. Um, Again, you know, going back to those integration plans, having a communication plan that sits down with people, uh, both one-on-one, particularly your key players, uh, you're going to want to sit down one-on-one with the people that are critical to success of the business and work through every one of their problems individually. But it's continuing to listen. It's continuing to engage. It's being honest and truthful. 
And when you don't know the answer, you tell them you don't know the answer, but you go find it out, and you and you come back and, and you follow up on that. And, and, and I think it's also the, you know, the integration plan is not something that is like a 12-month. You know, I no, saw the best it, integration plans last a couple of years, sometimes three to five years, as you rebuild the talent because of the the process itself. And as you become more successful and integrate, um, you find you need new talent, you need more things, and it can be a rolling process to re-enroll people year after year after year. Yeah, and, and that really comes back to the nature of the acquisition, the size of the company. Um, you know, I've done them from uh, $50 million all the way up to $2 billion in mm -hmm. in sales. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the smaller companies – the resources to do all that plan. The, the key is is that you have a formal plan for everything, mm -hmm. and that takes into account whether or not you need a longer range engagement plan. Um, normally, what what I have seen in smaller companies is they roll that in as part of their normal employee relations planning. Um, and total re employee relations planning is another topic for another day. We could talk yeah, for hours yeah, about that. And I, and I, and I mentioned it because yeah. too many companies don't have that plan. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are ill-equipped to deal with, you know, the next round, the first round of performance reviews because all of that's changed. Yeah. Even if you use the same process, the way we think about it, the way the managers think about it, the goals have changed, et cetera, and how do you manage those kinds of things? When do you decide, you know, some companies keep acquisitions off to the side for a couple of years, and then they have to make this big implementation plan uh, to bring them into the fold. And so now you've just kind of elongated that process out of it. So you're right, it is looking at it over a long period of time, but it also is, I think, because most companies don't have a talent strategy um, that is multi-year, multi-generational, and I don't mean generations as in millennials and baby boomers, but you know, year after year after year after year after year. Yes, that's 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 certainly true, and and you're certainly correct from the standpoint that any company always needs to have its, its ear to the pulse of the organization. And understand what issues people are facing, and particularly individual issues that are outside of the norm, mm -hmm. and have plans in place to address those. Yeah. So it is it is an ongoing process to achieve that full commitment and understanding and, and agreement to to move forward. Our time is up, and I want to thank you so much for you know sharing your wisdom and your experience with my audience and the listeners. Um, so in the last question, what have you got, you know, kind of coming up? What are you looking to do? And how can people get a hold of you? Well, I've uh, I've been consulting since 2017, and people can contact me at hrstudiointernational at gmail.com. Perfect. And um, feel free to follow up with Denise. She's always known how to reach me. <laughs> And you're on LinkedIn, so they certainly yes, can right. <laughs> uh, look for your LinkedIn. And below in the uh, description, you will be able to have a link to his, um, to his, at least his open profile. And if you have follow-up questions or you just want to chat with Don, 
Um, I strongly encourage. He's a, he has a wealth of wisdom and experience. He admits to 30 years and 20 years in specializing in mergers and acquisitions um, and restructuring. So if you've got questions, you just want to chat, please feel free to give him a call. Um, con contact him via LinkedIn. And thank you so much for your generosity and the wisdom that you've shared with my audience. Everyone else, this has been another edition of Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. My goal is to help you understand where you are today and where you want to be tomorrow and to put the steps in place so that you can get from where you are today to where you want to be, and we close the gap. As with always, there will be another edition next week. If you have questions, please feel free to send them to me. I hope to be able to answer them and or get guests on my podcast that will answer those questions for you. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Music is generously provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank C-Suite Radio for hosting me on their network. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and also check out the other podcasts on C-Suite Radio, the largest network focused on helping executives do better and be better. As always, let me know how you're doing, what you're facing, and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap, creating a pathway from where you are to where you want to be. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.